Hello, Exorcist Files listeners. Okay, so we know a lot of you struggle with sleep issues. And no, not just because you're listening to our show before bed. I myself actually have struggled with sleep a ton since starting the show. Waking up in the middle of the night for seemingly no reason. If that sounds like you, then you should try Sleepy Body Lotion by HCB Organics. It's an all-natural organic magnesium lotion made from a unique form of deep sea magnesium that is very pure and can be absorbed directly through the skin. You just apply some to your back, arms, or legs, and it will help you get a deep, restful night's sleep. Just head over to 8sheep.com xfiles and use our promo code xfiles for 10% off. Again, that's 8sheep.com xfiles for 10% off. And seriously, stop listening to the show right before bed. Hey friends, before we start today's episode, we would like to ask you a huge favor. As you know, our show is now financed through the generosity of donors and sponsors. We are going to be doing a Kickstarter crowdfund in the near future to finish season two. And if you can go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page, that will help us out big time. This will ensure you are kept up to date on when the campaign goes live and get you access to some very exclusive rewards available only through the Kickstarter. Go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page. It takes like 30 seconds. Thank you. Now, on to the show. How many hours have I been gone? Jeremy, you left two days ago. I called your work. No one knew where you were. Where the hell were you? I I don't know what's happening. Okay, okay. I don't don't know what's what's going on. It's okay, it's okay. There are states of possession. The devil can animate any time he wants and does so for any reason he wants but especially if there's anything holy around the victim. And if it's a priest conducting an exorcism, he will absolutely manifest himself, and now the battle's on, because he's defending life and property. During an exorcism, the victim is rendered in a state of internal sleep, so the consciousness is taken over in addition to his or her body. The body is, for all intents and purposes, a puppet of the devil. When the possession is over and the devil, for whatever reason, retreats inside the victim, the victim remembers nothing of the possession. If the possession has lasted for three days, three days are gone, and they're gone. In his book, Possession, T.K. Osterreich referred to this phenomenon as demoniacal somnambulism, or as I would call it, possessed sleepwalking. Welcome back to The Exorcist Files. Thank you once again for joining us for a deep dive into the case files of Father Carlos Martins. I'm your co-host, Ryan Bethay. 
Let's return to the case at hand, shall we? Last week, we introduced you to Jeremy, a firefighter who had an encounter with a dark force at a young age. When we left off, Jeremy had just met Father after manifesting in a confessional booth. Now, what's interesting there is that, aside from the blackout spells, which had provided a sort of smokescreen for its nefarious activities, the demon remained mostly hidden within Jeremy throughout his life. Yet only when the sacrament of confession was attempted did the demon fully present itself by manifesting in front of a witness. Confession is deadly to the enterprise of the devil. One confession is worth more than even 100 exorcisms. So the devil will do everything in his power to prevent somebody who is possessed from going to confession. He will prevent them from walking inside a church. He will cause a manifestation, for example, of confusion where they will be unable to formulate a sentence that makes any sense, or of nausea, where they feel like vomiting so badly that they can't be inside the church. If they approach the confessional, he will cause them a feeling of pain. He will strike them with a manifestation whereby their mind goes blank and they forget why they're there. Or they will start writhing demonically anything to get them out of that physical place because of course they're in a danger zone insofar as the devil is concerned this notion is a little counterintuitive because as human beings we are usually more impressed by spectacle and exorcism in and of itself is a spectacle it's a confrontation it's dramatic enthralling it captivates our attention confession is not very spectacular nonetheless as father will tell you it is still a greater divine gift than exorcism. With that in mind, let's get back to Jeremy, where Father now faces the task of diagnosing whether a demon is actually present within him. As always, listener discretion is advised. I remember walking into the confessional, but after that it's murky. The priest told me I was growling and screaming, the next clear memory I have is meeting you. I see. Now, Jeremy, if you don't mind, just just give me a second. I'm going to grab a few things real quick. Um, please pardon my multitasking. I'm behind on so much here. No, you're good. That's a, quite a collection of books you have, though I don't see any Curious George up there. <laughs> no, that wasn't. One of my textbooks, unfortunately, but... Please continue. Tell me more about this entity that takes control of you. What do you think it wants? That's the thing, Father. I have no idea. As Jeremy is relating all of this to me, I told him to keep talking, and I walked up to a bookcase in the room, grabbed a stack of books, and I placed them on the table in front of him. Some of them were books on theology, scripture commentary and stuff. But other books were on completely random topics. How to drywall a basement. The 2012 Baltimore Orioles yearbook. Programming in C++. The point of this is he would be scanning the titles of each stack as I laid them on the table. So I am occupying Jeremy's eyes. And then I went to the shelf behind Jeremy, and on that shelf... I had a glass filled with water. 
But it wasn't just any water, it was holy water. And there's this voice, too. I dipped my finger, and I picked up a quarter of a drop. Then, while I was still behind Jeremy, I flicked that holy water onto his back. Talking to myself, but you have to believe me, Father. It's... With a speed that was startling, Jeremy shot up out of his chair, arched his upper body backwards behind himself, such that Jeremy was now face to face with me, although his face was upside down. The pupil of his eyes rolled into his head and his canine teeth suddenly appeared to be two inches long. He's hissing violently at me, much like a threatened cat would. For whatever reason, known only in the demonic world. That demon mirrored the behavior of a cat. Who are you? Unfortunately, too strong for you, hack priest. We make him strong. Much too strong for you. Now, for our listeners who aren't well-versed on holy water, here's a quick breakdown. Holy water is essentially water that has been blessed by a member of the clergy. It is used for rituals and ceremonies within multiple religions, as well as most branches of Christianity. In the Catholic tradition, there are actually different varieties of holy water, such as Epiphany and Easter water, that take varying amounts of time and ingredients to create. Epiphany water is blessed through a long ritual during the Feast of Epiphany, which celebrates the visit of the three wise men to the infant Jesus, Easter water is prepared at Easter Vigil in conjunction with a special prayer and the dipping of the Paschal candle, which many would recognize as the large white candle at Easter service. However, the most common holy water used by exorcists is that which is blessed from the old Roman ritual published in the year 1614. That rite involves exercising salt and then blessing it, exercising water, then blessing it, mixing the two, and finally blessing the mixture. This elaborate ritual is performed because at the fall of Adam, the devil gained dominion over the world. Therefore, by blessing the salt and water, the devil's power over those elements is nullified. So why salt? Well, instances of using salt to cleanse what is harmful was established in the Bible, such as when Elisha used salt to purify the water in infertile land of Jericho in 2 Kings chapter two. Now, when we use holy water, exercised and blessed salt and the other sacramentals, they have a real effect on the devil because those holy objects carry the power of God within them. If you're like me, you're wondering exactly how a material thing like holy water would have such an effect on a metaphysical thing like a fallen angel. Father clarified for us, Forewarning, it gets a little heady. Einstein's discovery that the senses can deceive with regard to our understanding of reality applies also to the spiritual realm. His genius is discovering that we need to not be a slave to the senses, but consider the question of space and time apart from observable reality. The demons live in a state called hell, not in a place because they don't have physical bodies. 
every place in the physical universe is equally available to them. They are already there, so to speak. So when we say the devil is in that room, is in that person, what we're saying is that he has the authority to interact in an extraordinary way on that reality. To bridge this concept with a pop culture reference, I think the Wachowski's 1999 hit film The Matrix illustrates the principle quite well. In the film, human reality as we know it is actually a computer simulation known as The Matrix. Within the simulation are powerful software programs known as agents, which we could compare to demons. They can instantly hijack and occupy any human who is hardwired into the simulation at any time or place. Trinity! Help! However, once the agents inhabit that space, they do become subject to the physical laws that govern that particular reality. Dodge this. So those holy objects, they are able to reach the devil, even though he is not himself corporeal. But when he acts upon a physical reality, then he subjects himself to those sacramental elements through which the church exercises God's power. So this holy water test firmly established demonic possession. The amount of water I flicked on Jeremy was minimal. There would be no way that Jeremy could perceive that this had just happened. But it caused the demon within Jeremy to be in agony and it flushed him out. Come here quickly, quickly. Restrain him as best you can. <laughs> Good. Good. Demon, who are you? Get these sickly bones off me. Demon, what is your name? Jeremy's owner. Demon, tell me. This worthless flesh is mine until it putrefies in this earth. I command you. Only then will I leave this body. <laughs> oh, body. Tell me your name. Body of the prince. Tell me your name, demon. In the name of Jesus Christ, tell me your name. Some call me Floras, Lord of Vengeance, Commander of Legions. <laughs> Pleasure to see you in the flesh. Floris, I will now speak to Jeremy. Jeremy, can you hear me? Dare command the likes of me? (laughs) Amusing. Jeremy, talk to me. This discarded piece of flesh is mine. Jeremy, are you able? I command 20 legions, you deplorable pygmy priest. Jeremy, if you. No breaking our agreement! (laughs) Be still, dear. Delightfully fleshy. Your human restraints are. Floras, I command. Die in darkness, you puny orphan. Join the hordes that serve our dark prince. Thrashing bodies slip from ass to chin. Dancing cadavers. Floras. Pastures of shit. In the name of Christ, be bowing intestines, swinging, slapping knees, and flapping In the name of Jesus, in his authority, I command you to be 
I spoke to the demon this way because the name of Jesus is a terrible and frightening reality. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Demons are not free to disregard or disrespect the name of Jesus. This particular revelation I found most interesting as it generally contradicts what we've seen in many Hollywood portrayals of exorcisms, that when it comes to the second commandment, which directs us to not take the Lord's name in vain, in Father's experience, demons uphold this command more than most humans. People, in fact, are surprised to know that even demons respect God's name. Case in point, in all the years I've been an exorcist, I have never heard a demon, even in an exorcism, blaspheme God. I've never heard him do it. He certainly cusses me out. I've seen demons claim to be God. I've seen them show disdain for the things God loves. I've seen them lie about God. But I have never seen a demon blaspheme God's name. So the fact that in modern society and just in common discourse, blasphemy is used as punctuation and even the demons won't blaspheme needs to give us pause. It is a fascinating contrast, and it surely gives more spiritual heft to the act of commanding a demon in God's name instead of your own. Get up quickly, quickly, grab his arms. Are you okay? Yes, yes, Father. This one's too strong. I don't know if we can handle another outburst. I understand. Hold him down as best you can. Floris, in Jesus' name, remain silent. I am speaking to Jeremy now. Jeremy, I know you can hear me. You have to tell this thing to leave. Jeremy, do you understand me? You must tell it to leave. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. In scripture it is written, that some demons can only come out through prayer and fasting. But for those times, you're not fasting. May we highly recommend Maui Nui Venison to deliver you from hunger. This delicious venison is lean and without blemish. It is sent straight to your door quicker than the angel Gabriel could get a message to Daniel. We know your body is a temple, and that's why only the highest quality venison will do. But seriously, their mission to help conserve Maui and steward the environment is one of the big reasons why we love this company. And look, I wasn't even a big venison guy until I tried their jerky. And wow, it's literally the perfect snack in your battle against the powers and principalities. Now, of course, since this is an ad, we have an offer, and it's a good one. They only do a limited number of subscriptions, which is why we are excited to offer our listeners 20% off site-wide, including your first purchase of the remaining boxes. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com slash X-Files to take advantage of one of the best offers you'll get this side of eternity. 20% off at MauiNuiVenison.com slash X-Files. Welcome back to The Exorcist Files. 
an epic journey through the case files of our resident demon disciplinarian, Father Carlos Martins. Now, it was somewhere around when Father recounted the Jeremy demoniac flinging both assistants across the room like ragdolls, when I thought to myself, how does one get here? Where does an exorcist even come from? Well, I was kind of surprised to find out that Father's spiritual journey actually began with atheism. I was born in Kitchener, Ontario, a suburb about one hour south of Toronto. My parents did have me baptized as an infant, but I wasn't raised in the faith. By the time I entered school and started developing my rational capacities, atheism was the most logical conclusion that I was left with about reality. I mean, if God exists, why is the world in the state it is? Why can the little nine-year-old girl be kidnapped and murdered? If you were God, would you permit that in your world? I wouldn't. If God exists, why are there so many different religions in the world, each one contradicting the next? If you were God, would you permit different religions in your world? I wouldn't. And thirdly, if God exists, why does he hide himself? Why doesn't he just peel back reality and reveal himself? If you were God, would you hide yourself? I wouldn't. Personally, I find this to be one of the more substantial arguments for atheism. If God is about relationship with his creation, why the hide and seek? So the only rational conclusion that I made from all of that is that God does not exist. Now that conclusion, I didn't rejoice in that. Like I had no problems with the notion of God. In fact, I was honest enough to recognize that within us, we are hardwired to desire the existence of God. We all want to live forever and nature has equipped us to self-preserve. In 1996, I was in college and, and I encountered this group of students and small group of professors who were devout Christians. And the thing that I could not understand is how on earth could they be so smart and yet believe in the existence of God? I mean, did they not read the memo? Did they not ponder what I've pondered? Why are they in such a different space? I was having coffee with one of them one morning on campus. Someone comes in and informs him, hey, your car was stolen out of the parking lot this morning and it was plowed into a tree. And he said, I guess it was just not God's will for me to have a car right now. That news, which would have crushed me, water off a duck's back for him. That piece was a marvel to behold. And it made me confront where I was, and it made me listen to every word that they spoke. Ah, the old influential college professor story. I definitely had a few of those at USC. Fight on, Trojans. We'll return to Father's origin story in a little while. But for now, let's get back to the battle at hand, where Father briefly subdued the demon and was now attempting to contact Jeremy, imploring him to join the fight. Jeremy, you must tell it to leave. Although I commanded the demon in the name of Jesus, there was no obvious sign of the demon's compliance. Demons are annoyingly legalistic. They often will obey an exorcist command and they won't give an indication that they've done so. Then when the exorcist repeats that same command, 
The demon suffers no injury by them because he's already complied. It's all a demonic tactic. Drain the exorcist and make him believe that he has no authority over this demon. And if the exorcist falls for it, if he puts more faith in the demon's ability than in his own, then all his subsequent commands will be less effective because there has been a lessening of his faith. But I knew that Jeremy could hear me if I spoke. Jeremy, I know you can hear me. I need you to join me in renouncing this demon. Help. Jeremy. Oh, Father. Jeremy, I'm right here. Hocus corpus I will eviscerate this corpse upon the rock. He cannot. Hold on to him. Hey, don't let him go. Hold on to him. Hold on to him. Unclean spirit. I command thee be silent. Father, Father, protect Jeremy and grant him the strength to overcome this forsaken Paris. Jeremy, you I command this demon. You command all God's help to do this. Come back to me. Florus, most unclean and wicked servant in the name of Jesus, stay far away from the servant of God. It is the Lord Himself who commands you. You will your empty army. Thou commands no one. Accursed and lonely tyrant he of maggots. He was seeking commands you. Father has forsaken you. The Son has forsaken you. Jeremy, I know you hear me. Very God, you back to us. Flora, go in all the curse that decided you to bring us one for all. Keep far away from the servant of God, for Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, who has freely called him to his holy grace and blessed well, and to the waters of baptism. By the power of Christ our Lord, be silent, demon. In Jesus' name, release Jeremy. Jeremy, with the power of the Lord and Savior by your side, speak out now. Jeremy, go. Jeremy, please. Jeremy, do you understand me? Yes, Father. Yes. Amen. One of the details that indicated the demonic hold on Jeremy had been waning even before he came to see me was the fact that he had already made a decision that he would go to confession and he was following through with that decision. This aligns with what Father mentioned last episode, that for an exorcism to even work, the victim must first want to be liberated. Someone may retort at this point like, hey, if I had a demon in me, then I'd be ready to get rid of that power within seconds. It's not as simple as that. It's difficult for us to understand what it's like to have a demon inside us. A demon offers a deal for something that is pleasing in exchange for hospitality. In Jeremy's case, the devil offered him extraordinary strength, an ability that Jeremy loved. But at the same time at heart, Jeremy knew that it was all fake. 
his strength didn't come from self-discipline and hard work. It came from a pact that now held him in bondage. He was not free to be himself. So he felt like both a liar and a prisoner. Father, give us The demon's power at this point appeared to abate partially. I could see Jeremy's pupils once more. He looked confused and bewildered. Jeremy, you need to renounce the demon. Renounce the demon. Claim Jesus as your Lord. As I said this, Jeremy's eyes rolled into his head again. All I could see were the whites of his eyes. Switching out, quote unquote, during an exorcism is common. A demon will retreat when he wants a reprieve from the prayers. And besides my prayers, this demon had to contend with those of my team members who were reciting the rosary, asking for the Blessed Mother's intercession. But you must renounce this demon. Flores in Jesus' holy name, bring me Jericho. Resist his will. It is my will. But the will of the kingdom, Aerosols, shut your mouth. Their praying had the desired effect. It was grinding the enemy down. A quick rundown here on the Blessed Mother and the intercession of saints. In addition to prayers made to God, one can also ask for prayers from the saints in heaven. Catholic doctrine teaches that there are venerated saints in heaven, like the Blessed Virgin Mary, who can offer prayers to God on our behalf if we ask them. This practice does not occur across all Christian denominations. Protestants in particular generally disagree with praying to anyone but God. Protestants often criticize the Catholic practice of praying to the saints, but this criticism comes from a misunderstanding of what it means to pray. The word pray means to ask. It does not mean to worship. Both Catholics and Protestants agree that worship is due to God alone. Shakespeare used the word prithy throughout his plays as a contraction of the phrase, I pray thee. It's equivalent to saying, I ask you. But this intercessory influence of Mary on her son is not lost on Catholics. Speaking of Catholic traditions, let's briefly return to 1996, when atheist college student Carlos Martins had taken a shine to what he saw in some of his Christian professors and fellow students. I was invited on a Eucharistic adoration retreat, and I opted to go simply because of the character of the young men that organized this retreat. I had no idea what I was getting into. They said retreat, and I heard vacation. So I said, great, I'll bring the beer. For those not in the know, the Catholic Church believes that the Eucharist, or the bread and wine consecrated by the priest at Mass, are not just symbols. They become the actual body and blood of Jesus. And adoration of the Eucharist is a practice where the Eucharist is exposed in the form of bread on the altar and then worshipped as God. 
Not quite the beer-fueled collegiate expedition Father had in mind. The Eucharist is not ever left alone when it is exposed. It needs a worshiper. That was a hard and fast rule. On this retreat, each man would have four hours of adoration a day. I had threes and nines. So from 3 to 4 a.m., 9 to 10 a.m., 3 to 4 p.m., 9 to 10 p.m., those were my four shifts a day. And so on that first shift, as everybody piled out of the chapel, the Eucharist is now exposed, and I was there alone, I just remember having a sense of embarrassment and frankly shame because I didn't believe and I felt completely out of place. I was looking at what appeared to be a cracker in a fancy holder on the altar. So what did I do? Well, I plotted my escape. I could have said something like, hey, I forgot something at home or I'm feeling sick. But all of the reasons seemed completely inadequate. The character of these young men who had invited me was so good that I just could not bring myself to lie to them. I couldn't help but marvel at the irony of it all. A natural skeptic, who has trouble believing in the Eucharist and its supernatural significance, would, within a decade, become a leading exorcist in the church he doubted, entering into spiritual combat with manifesting demons. Such is life. Jeremy's eyes changed from looking like they belonged to an alert, ferocious animal to those of someone struggling to fight off tremendous fatigue. Jeremy, I know you can hear me, I repeated. Tell the demon to leave. Jeremy's pupils reappeared. So sleepy. Jeremy, stay with me. Sleepy. The enemy is not sleeping without your cooperation. Come on, Jeremy. Sleepy. Jeremy slumped over. Jeremy, say Jesus. Say the Lord's name. Invite the Lord into this battle and come back to us. Watch out! The glass of holy water hurled past my face and smashed against the wall into pieces. Serpent, I command you in the name of Christ to stop manifesting. I bind you in the name of Jesus. You have no authority. To hell with you, priest. He's my vessel. I'm not going anywhere else. Yes, save, save. Jesus. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. In scripture, it is written that some demons can only come out through prayer and fasting. But for those times, you're not fasting. May we highly recommend Maui Nui Venison to deliver you from hunger. This delicious venison is lean and without blemish. It is sent straight to your door quicker than the angel Gabriel could get a message to Daniel. We know your body is a temple, and that's why only the highest quality venison will do. But seriously, their mission to help conserve Maui and steward the environment is one of the big reasons why we love this company. And look, I wasn't even a big venison guy until I tried their jerky. And wow, it's literally the perfect snack in your battle against the powers and principalities. Now, of course, since this is an ad, we have an offer. 
and it's a good one. They only do a limited number of subscriptions, which is why we are excited to offer our listeners 20% off site-wide, including your first purchase of the remaining boxes. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com slash X-Files to take advantage of one of the best offers you'll get this side of eternity. 20% off at MauiNuiVenison.com slash X-Files. Welcome back to The Exorcist Files. Let's return one last time to 1996, where a young Carlos is feeling out of place on a Eucharistic adoration retreat with his college mates and professors, torn between the choice of leaving or doing what he agreed to and remain there for three days, keeping watch over what, to him, was just an unambiguous cracker. So at that point, I did the most honest thing that I had ever done in my life. I got down on my knees and I said, God, I don't believe that you're here. But if you are, please reveal yourself to me. If you can give me the faith that I see in these young men, then I will give you my life. What happened next was, well, largely nothing. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I didn't have a great insight. But there was a tiny, tiny sense of peace that emerged within me. It was far from being overwhelming, but it was enough that it kept me in that chapel to finish that hour. And then the start of my next shift. That thread of peace was now thicker. It still was not overwhelming, but I was surprised at how quickly that hour passed by. My next shift after that was at 3 a.m. I'm the only one awake, and that peace increased to such an extent that I knew that I was in front of he who created me, that he was aware of me, and I felt this profound sense of love and peace take me over. And peace is the one experience that cannot be counterfeited. Life was completely different from that point onwards. I got my undergraduate degree in philosophy, got a master's degree in philosophy, and then I got an education degree. And shortly after that is when I entered seminary. I put in six years in seminary and then was ordained a priest. Shortly after that, I was tasked to be an exorcist. And that, folks, is how a skeptic becomes a Catholic. To hell with you, priest. He's my vessel. I'm not going anywhere else. Yes, save, save the Lord's name. Say the Lord's name. Good, keep saying it. Jesus. Jesus! 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 Jeremy was able to say the Lord's name with all his strength in a roar that was befitting a man of his physique and stature. Good, Jeremy. Now repeat after me. 
In the name of Jesus, I renounce this demon and everything he gave me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce this demon and everything he gave me. Strength, power, and ability beyond my means. Strength, power, and ability beyond my means. I give it all back. I give it all back. I choose to belong to the kingdom of God. I choose to belong to the kingdom of God. Now you must renounce the Ouija board. I renounce the Ouija board and I ask God to break me of any connection I may still have. You must ask God to heal you. Heal me, God. I am yours. The air in the room was now different. A heaviness that had been present was gone. Jeremy was alert, at peace, and smiling. The demon had departed. It's gone. Very good. I feel, I feel light, Father. It's gone. Praise God. I haven't felt like this. I haven't felt like this since I was a kid. I asked everyone else in the room to leave, and Jeremy received the sacrament from which he had been away for two decades. I invited Jeremy to make his confession, the confession he tried to make earlier in the day and couldn't. I also gave him the Blessed Eucharist to further heal and strengthen him. I scheduled a follow-up appointment with him, then I presented him to his wife. It's over. Thank God it's over. Oh my gosh. gosh. And for the first time in his marriage, his wife could experience life with her husband apart from any demonic influence. Well, if you wanted an exorcism case that covered the essentials, That was it. You had demonic belligerence, superhuman strength, and even control of inanimate objects with the flying glass of holy water. And to top it all off, we heard an exorcist origin story. After fully soaking it in, it's become clear that exorcism is truly a demanding and complex job. And like many tough jobs, there are dangers and hazards. So while I hope neither myself nor any of you ever needs an exorcist, it's comforting to know there are folks out there like Father Martins, who take it seriously. People have this impression that a priest comes in with this book of God spells, and he pronounces these mysterious prayers, and then all of a sudden, poof, the devil is gone. That is not the case. Where God is not present in the hearts of people, the devil has every right to be present, because the devil has gained dominion of the world. The root word of dominion is dominus, which means Lord. He became the Lord of the world. There's no such thing as a neutrality. You are either on God's team or you are not. And if you are not, then you are de facto in the devil's. And if the devil has taken an active interest in you and he has ensnared you, then you need assistance to get out of that. And that's where an exorcist comes in. We hope you've enjoyed the ride so far, but keep your seatbelts on. 
there are plenty more stories to tell for Season 1 of The Exorcist Files. Come back next week as Father takes us deeper into the world of demonic personalities, and we bring you three very unique demonic battles. Here's a sneak peek of our next episode. Tell me who you are. The one you won't get out. The one you can't. Thank you again for joining us for the case of Jeremy, the possessed firefighter. And if you happen to see a person stop, drop, and roll around on the floor at the mention of Jesus, well, give your local clergy a call. All cases in The Exorcist Files are recounted by Father Carlos Martins from his personal archives. The Exorcist Files is hosted by Father Martins and myself, Ryan Bethay. This episode's reenactments were directed and recorded by Chandler Mays and Ryan Bethay in Los Angeles, California. Jeremy is portrayed by Nicoa DeCoit, Father Martins by Paul Leach, Father's Assistants by Chandler Mays and Ryan Bethay, and Rachel is portrayed by Melissa Luna. Any likeness or similarities of characters are entirely coincidental and unintentional on the part of the writers. Additional research provided by Anne-Marie Robeson and Miranda Hawkins. Script written by Chandler Mays and Ryan Bethay. Original theme and select scores written and composed by Dan Carey Bailey. Additional music graciously provided by Zguba. And you can find his music at zguba.bandcamp.com. Assistant editor is JJ Posway. Supervising producer, sound designer, editor, and mixer is Chandler Mays. Executive producers are Carlos Martins, Ryan Bethay, and Jonathan Dressler. And finally, Chandler would like to offer an apology to the wedding party at Hollywood Presbyterian who likely heard our exorcism reenactments throughout their festivities. And congratulations to the bride and groom. The Exorcist Files is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello? Wow, you're still here. You must really love this show. I will say, you have excellent taste in podcasts, which is why, should you be craving a few more dad jokes and some great conversations, you should head on over to The Ryan Bethay Show and check out my interviews with some incredible guests like John O'Hurley, who played Mr. Peterman on Seinfeld, Kathy Lee Gifford, PGA legend Bubba Watson, Ghostbuster Ernie Hudson, best-selling author Andy Weir of The Martian, and many more. About two years ago, we bought an airport shuttle bus turned it into a campfire setting, and actually drove this thing across the country in this fully mobile studio to interview some absolute legends. All those talks are online. We don't just ask them normal questions. We go really deep, and we find key moments in their journey to help figure out their best lessons. All the episodes are evergreen, and they're really fun. So check out The Ryan Bethay Show wherever you get your podcasts.